Welcome to Encounter Grace, where we come face-to-face with God's work in the world for our good. Join host Jason McKnight as we explore practical issues of community, theology, and leadership in everyday life. Hey, welcome back to Encounter Grace. I'm Jason McKnight, and I'm here with Ben Hendricks as usual. But today, because it's the week leading into Christmas, Advent number four, we thought we needed a little extra sparkle in the studio. So we... We have holiday cheer personified. Holiday cheer personified. <laughs> My sweet wife, Susan, is here to share with us a little bit. The three of us are going to have a conversation as we, together, all of us in this listening community, as we come up right to the manger. We're just a few days away from Christmas. You might even be listening to this Wednesday or Thursday of Christmas week. Um, and, you know, Christmas morning is coming, Saturday morning. So we've called this Come and Worship. And what we want to do today is just maybe come in a couple of fresh ways to help each of us worship at the manger. All through Advent, we've been looking back, we've been looking forward, and we've been living in the middle, kind of as Ben framed it for us in the first one, looking backwards, looking forward, and now we're living in the middle. But they're all coming together as December 25th is right around the corner. So Ben, why don't you lead us into um, some of how Old Testament saints looked forward? Yeah, I mean, just as you were saying, as we were talking about Advent, it's looking backwards in remembrance, right? Remembering all that God has done, remembering how he did show up in the manger. But it's also looking forward in anticipation. And so where we are is we remember. We remember the manger, the shepherds, the star. That, mm-hmm. that oh, holy night that would change absolutely everything forever. But... For most of history, God's people have anticipated and awaited the coming of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. They've longed for and looked forward to the day when all things would be made right, when the Messiah would come and he would change the world forever. And it wasn't just in the final days, the last couple of days right before Jesus' birth that they were looking forward to him. It was long awaited, that they waited since the beginning, since Genesis. That in Genesis, he was the word of God, creating the heavens and the earth. In Exodus, he was the Passover lamb, whose blood was sprinkled on the doorposts of your heart so that you could escape the bonds of slavery. In Leviticus, he was the temple, the holy place where you met with God. In Numbers, he was your ever-present guide, your pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. Mm. In Deuteronomy, he was the prophet coming, who is greater than Moses. In Joshua, he was the conquering warrior leading you into the promised land. In Judges, he was the broken savior rising up to rescue you. In Ruth, he was your kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he was the pure-hearted shepherd king hmm. who rushed out to face your giants all alone. And in First and Second Kings, he was the righteous ruler. And then in First and Second Chronicles, he's the restorer of the kingdom. In Ezra, we see him as the faithful scribe, writing down God's words. In Nehemiah, the rebuilder of the walls for God's people. In Esther, the advocate, risking his life to restore us to royalty. In Job, he was the living redeemer. In the Psalms, he was the one who hears your cries. Mm. In Proverbs, wisdom personified. In Ecclesiastes, 
He was the meaning that lets you escape the madness. And the Song of Solomon, a lover and a bridegroom. In Isaiah, he was the wonderful counselor, mighty God, (laughs) everlasting father, prince of peace, wounded for your transgressions and bruised for your iniquities. In Jeremiah, he's the spirit that writes God's laws on your hearts. In Lamentations, he was the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he was the river of life, bringing healing to the nations. And in Daniel, he was the fourth man in the fire. In Hosea, he's the ever-faithful husband, pursuing the unfaithful bride. In Joel, the restorer of all that the locusts have eaten. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, the judge of all the earth. Jonah, the prophet cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. And in Micah, the everlasting ruler born in Bethlehem. And Nahum, the avenger of God's elect. And Habakkuk, the reason to rejoice even when our fields are empty. And Zephaniah, the great reformer. And Haggai, the cleansing fountain. And Zechariah, the pierced son whom every eye on earth will one day behold. And then in Malachi, the son of righteousness, rising with healing in my wings. Wow. So 39 glimpses. Beautiful. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it really is. And I love even that last one in Malachi, the son of righteousness, because John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, picks up on that language. In fact, in all of Malachi, uh, in his song in Luke 1 and 2, and he, and he says that, the son of righteousness rises with healing in his wings, which Charles Wesley puts in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Mm-hmm. So when you see that, you're seeing Luke 1, and then you're seeing Malachi 4, um, and it's just so beautiful. And now he's here, what they longed for since the beginning. Now he's here, at least we commemorate it at Christmas. What we look back on, they looked forward to. Of course, we look forward to his coming again, but now he's here. Um, I've always loved the shepherds in the story in Luke 2. Susan knows this because <laughs> I preach on it a lot <laughs> and I think about it a lot. I love these guys. Um, and I, what I love is just, uh, I mean, one of the things is thinking how they would have come and worship. You know, the sheep are out in the fields. They're coming to the manger uh, in the inn, the stable, you know, outside. And what did they do when they worship? And of course, we don't know and we can't know. But we can shepherd each other because we can hear from each other how we have worshiped and what God has used in our lives uh, together, the three of us, but even more of us out there. So, honey, what um, have you used to worship? How has God met you over the years in different preparations for Christmas? Several years ago, I stumbled across um, a devotional in my the Bible I use in my quiet time um, right at Luke 2, asking if there was room in my inn. Or Mm. if the end of my life is too full for Mm. Jesus to find room. And I chewed on that because it's in my Bible. I also chew on it every year because I come Mm. across it each time. And I really take it a step further and ask myself, do I have a no vacancy sign Mm. on my heart? Mm. Every year I think about those innkeepers 
you know, Mary and Joseph came in and all of them said they had no vacancy when Mary and Joseph showed up. One of them said, we really don't have room, but we'll make room for you in the stable. I can't imagine what those innkeepers all missed out on (laughs) because they said no vacancy. And then I think of Mary and Joseph. I mean, imagine when they get word from the angel. Imagine if they had said no vacancy. Hmm. You know, Hmm. no thanks, Gabe. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for a whole new direction in my life. I don't have time or I don't want to deal with the shame of a pregnancy before marriage or the misunderstandings. It's too big. It's too hard. It's too unknown. I think of the shepherds. What if yeah. they had just said, you know, this is just too weird. They could have said no vacancy because it's not normal. They had other things to do. I think of the joys and the blessings and the worship. I think of the future of each of those people, their lives, their futures completely changing. That was all God's gift mm. to these people. That's good. Because they hung out that vacancy sign on their heart. Yeah. Scripture tells us in Revelation 3, that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And I used to think that was written to non-believers, but then I learned it was written to Christians. Yeah, I I surrender to Jesus initially, but Jesus wants to take up that residency in my heart. And, And Christmas is a reminder of that. It's a continual process. It's a continual challenge to surrender to him, to his will, to his plans. So how do I let him in? How do I let him come in and eat with me and me with him? As mm-hmm. Revelation 3.20 says, I've got to put up that vacancy sign in my heart and, and seek to know him more, which really leads to trusting him more, which leads to the posture that Mary had when the angel told her her world was about to be completely rocked. And Mary said, may it be to me as you have said. And that's an act of trust and living into and walking into that trust by obedience. And that's an act of worship. I love that. It, wow. it, no vacancy. Uh, am I putting a vacancy sign so that God, we talk about it in terms of loosening our hands, mm-hmm. opening our hands so that we're not clinging to what we think. I mean, I've never thought of it in these terms of uh, no vacancy mm-hmm. or vacancy. Like every time my hand is closed on something that I know I want or have, I'm saying no vacancy to the mm-hmm. Lord. No, move on. You can't have this. Mm-hmm. That's wrong. Wow, that's a great... Thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that with mm-hmm. us. How about you, Ben? Can you top that? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> None of mine's even stuff I prepare. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> interestingly enough, when a, a couple of months before I came to the Lord, I found a song, and it was mm-hmm. one that I've already mentioned before on, on here, but it was A Holy Night. And for whatever reason, my heart, when I heard it, and again, it could be because it was Josh Groban singing it, but he was singing and, and I was hearing the words and I wasn't sure what I, if I really believed them and that didn't really matter at the time, but this was after, I mean, just a, like a hard season and I found life in the words of the song, A Holy Night. And so every, every Christmas season, as someone who, believe it or not, loves to sing, who can't sing, but loves to sing. I'd love to hear that. I, I, I mean, I walk around uh, my house, and Janessa loves it too, but I don't know why. Uh, I just, I'll sing. I sing to Harper now. I sing all the time. But during the Christmas season, they usually revolve around uh, two songs. Hmm. The first one is O Holy Night. I mean, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. 
till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And I love the chorus. Mm. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices. O night divine, O night when Christ was born, O night divine, O night divine. And then goes on to tell us of all the joy that comes from from the Christ of breaking chains and, and the joy and the grateful chorus and that we all and let all within us praise his holy name. I mean, it wasn't a holy night, an incredible thing. But then the second one is another one, one that we share of our favorites is the O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Yeah. And ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And one of the reasons I love this song, uh, one, I can actually sing it somewhat well, and then two. Is it because it's in a minor key? I think so. <laughs> but two is, like, it's, it's it sounds for certain. That it's singing this song that, you know, one day the Lord will come, and he did. And again, and we're in the place where we sing these songs one day, believing the Lord will come, and he will. And in a season that can have its ups and downs of maybe family or experiences or maybe just the presents weren't as good this year. Mm. We can find our certainty in a rock and on a strong foundation that is the Lord and the promises of God that we've talked about before. Mm. Because Christ has come and he will again. I love O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, because it's kind of like how you led us through the Old Testament. There, mm. there really are seven, eight, nine verses to that hymn. Yep. And they walk you through so many episodes of the Old Testament. When, you, so when you stop and read them, it's like, wow, unbelievable. Mm. So anyway, that's a, that's a beautiful that's one. Great. Thank you for sharing those. I loved hearing that there was life in those words. Yeah. How the Lord was working and moving in you already, and you were drawn to it because there was life, because mm. it was truth. Mm. And um, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's great. Do you have another one to share, honey? Well, I love the Christmas story, and I love every year being reminded of it. One thing I did think of this morning that has nothing to do with this point, but is <laughs> um, the Word really is alive and mm -hmm. active, as we learn in Timothy. Mm -hmm. um, even this morning in my—I'm doing an Advent study, and they had us look back at Genesis 3, and to be fully honest here, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't, I've read that so much, you know. <laughs> and I went right back to Genesis 3, and the Lord just showed me something different that I'd never seen before. And how many times mm -hmm. have we read Genesis 3? Because, you know, you start the Bible reading plan, so you're always reading in I've Genesis. Read, read how many Genesis. times have we started? I've read that? Genesis at least 100 times. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it's just so good and so rich, and mm -hmm. I'm so thankful the Lord continues to speak. Um, no matter how many times we've read it, he can show himself to us in new ways and he can um, do a work in our heart and transform us. So mm. anyway, but one of the things that I love about the Christmas story is that there's so much fear in it. <laughs> and I think I love that because I can relate. Um, and it makes the, the characters so relatable. I mean, three times those angels show up to different characters in this story and three times they start with do not fear. Mary, they say to Mary, greetings you who are highly favored, don't be afraid. Mm. 
to Joseph, the angel shows up in the dream and says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. To the shepherds, an angel of the Lord appears. The glory of the road, Lord shone or shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, don't be afraid. So here's what I learned and remind myself each year as I look back and think on fear with Joseph, Mary, and the shepherds. First of all, Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds, full of fear. So fear isn't wrong. Hmm. Fear is something that naturally wells up in us in situations of danger or perceived danger, and well, it should. (laughs) There are times. Um, Fear only gets in the way, though, when it takes over and it becomes our obsession. Hmm. And that's when my fear becomes anxiety. And then I go down that road. But these people were full of fear. Um, But secondly... They were instructed by God in their fear, right? An angel shows up and talks to them. Well, I don't think I'd fear anymore if I had an angel show up and talk to me. (laughs) But the reality is we have God's message to us as clearly, as vibrantly, as as if it would come to us through an angel. So am I taking his word seriously enough as though it were God himself talking directly to me? Because he is. And every fear that I have is spoken to in Scripture. And that is my personal testimony. Hmm. It is true. He speaks to it. He meets me in it. That's what the Word of God does. So not only did every character have fear, every character was met in that fear with a word from God through an angel. But we also see every one of these characters obeyed immediately. Joseph married Mary. Mary submitted willingly, and the shepherds went to Bethlehem. They obeyed immediately. That means I can too. I can obey immediately when God calls me to something. When I'm afraid, when I'm anxious, I can turn my heart to him, and I can trust his plan. I can trust he's at work. I can trust he's calling me to something that I might not like or understand But I know he's at work for my good because that's a promise in Scripture. And then after they obeyed immediately, we see they entered into God's blessings. I mean, Joseph married the one that he loved. He became the earthly father of Jesus. Mary carried the Messiah. And the shepherds, they got to see the shepherd of their souls before anyone else even knew he had come. I know there's blessings that I have missed out on because I'm too scared to obey. But as I look at Mary, as I look at Joseph, as I look at the shepherds, they remind me every year that it's okay to have fears. But in the midst of my fears, I need to hear from God through his word, obey him immediately, and then watch the blessings that he gives from that. And that leads to worship. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's very good. Fear not and obey immediately and enter in immediately. That mm-hmm. It's what Ben always says. When God calls us to do something, he's calling us into something bigger. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and, and Boy, he not. certainly was with him, with all of them. <laughs> yeah. Something huge. Well, I mean, I love, uh, I love just getting this time to think carefully about worship at the manger, to think if we were shepherds a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, is there vacancy room in my heart 
how do the words of Christmas carols have life, even mm -hmm. as Ben gives testimony before he was a believer. Mm -hmm. The truth and the light was drawing him. And then fear not. Uh, I love that in the shepherds, the story does not end with them at the manger, worshiping. And we're all coming, as it were, to the manger, worshiping at the glow service and then uh, Christmas morning, whenever mm. you celebrate Christmas. But, but the manger isn't the end of it because the shepherds, what do they do? They go back to their daily life and they tell everyone <laughs> what they saw and what they heard. Mm. So they believed, they obeyed, they worshiped. And then two things came out of that. They still did life as usual. They went back to their normal life and they told everyone what they'd seen and heard. So glorifying God in our daily life and, and witnessing as we just overflow. I mean, that's part of the Christmas miracle. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. part of coming and worshiping is also going back to your regular life and being part of God, letting this story into the lives of those around you. So as we worship, we look for the high of the glow service or the high of, you know, the family feast and, and presence and, and a time around the open word on Christmas morning or something. But really, the story doesn't end there. We go back to our daily life and we, uh, and we witness and we tell everyone what we've seen and heard. And that's the call for us. Not just the three of us. Yeah. <laughs> All of us in the listening community. And what a great thing. I mean, that's why I love the shepherds is because they're just regular folks like us. But they're in on something huge, just like we are. And they're back to life as usual, just like we are. But they're changed. And they have a story to tell, just like we do. Mm -hmm. Well, we hope everybody has the richest Christmas, a merry Christmas, a happy Christmas, a Christ-filled Christmas. And from us here in the beautifully decorated studio to you <laughs> out there, we just wish God's blessings on you this Christmas season. Take care. This is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.org or follow us on Facebook.